Mayday is brought to you by JordanDene.com. That is Jordan, D-E-N-E.com. Uh, she runs an apparel and accessories company. This is functional fandom items. Uh, you can wear this stuff every day. They're totally fashionable and functional, and I think you will really like what you see. So definitely go check them out. Uh, JordanDene.com. Once again, it's J-O-R-D-A-N, like Jordan, uh, D-E-N-E.com. Our organization podcast partner this month is NARAL Missouri. They are Missouri's largest grassroots pro-choice organization working to protect a woman's right to a full range of reproductive health care for over 40 years. For more information about them, you can go to prochoicemissouri.org. That's prochoicemissouri.org to get more information about NARAL Missouri. Lastly, our wild card, and this one I am very excited to introduce you all to, um... It is called Geek Girl Brunch. You can find out all about them if you visit their website, geekgirlbrunch.com. This was something that is really cool, very grassroots, started uh, up in New York City by three women who were looking to start a women's only uh, brunch group to just talk about geeky stuff and do geeky stuff with fandoms and all kinds of things. Um, So visit geekgirlbrunch.com, find your local chapter or start a local chapter. That is geekgirlbrunch.com. Check them out. Everybody, welcome back. This is part two of our two-part interview with Deirdre Flynn, professor at the University College in Dublin, and she will be continuing to talk about her uh, dystopian fiction class and the conference that she had upcoming where they were talking all about The Handmaid's Tale. So please enjoy, and once again, Deirdre Flynn, University College Dublin. So getting back to The Handmaid's Tale portion of this, we also talked about when we were on our little Twitter conversation about how there is a conference correct in uh, yes, Ireland yes. And, and correct me if I'm wrong or this is specifically about Handmaid's Tale or just specifically Margaret Atwood no the Handmaid's Tale and it's actually in Worcester in the UK in the okay. University of Worcester um, yeah so it's fabulous that they're having one but it's particularly on the Handmaid's Tale the TV show um, okay. Okay. and it's called Gender Genre and Adaptation they have organized this fabulous two-day conference and like they are covering everything from um, feminism meeting neoliberalism to soundscapes adaptation race alternative approaches politics everything it just looks like a really fantastic two days of uh, of papers and you're going to be presenting at this correct yes yeah i'm giving a paper on silence and the handmaid's tale so, so let's, let's talk about that let's get into the role of silence in the handmaid's tale I suppose the the reason I was interested in it, I was watching the TV show when the the information about the conference came out and I was thinking about it in two different ways. The show itself is quite silent at times um, and there, it, it, the, the sound is, is low in it. You know, you really have to concentrate watching it and, you know, get used to that sense of, of how they use sound in it. And I think, I suppose, from a technique or an aesthetic point of view that idea it can often be used to kind of shock or to kind of draw your attention to something um but i also thought of it in relation to the characters themselves and how they often don't speak and that can make them complicit um in the actual um control of the sons of Gilead or uh, the sons of Jacob. Uh, so this idea that if they don't speak up or do something about it, that they end up allowing it to happen by not speaking. Um, I was thinking of Susan Sontag, Sontag has a, a, a chapter about um, the aesthetics of, of silence and about how, you know, as an artist, you when you 
silence can't be neutral in any way um, and that we have to be kind of aware that silence isn't neutral and I think it often leaves maybe she's a space for meditation and in some ways I think when they're looking at it from the the technique used by the director or the the, the sound director that it, it does give us a space as as audience members or as viewers to think about what's happening but also then kind of adding to the effect of of the silence of the the people involved in this society like Luke or Moira or Emily or June how they don't speak can be really really important and when they don't speak um so I'm going to kind of talk about Luke in the first bit just in relation to when Moira and June lose their money and jobs and their power and everything that he he talks about minding them um and, right you know, I'll, I'll take, take care, care of you, you. The, i'll take care of you is the famous line there we love that uh, we had a oh. rather lengthy discussion about that on the, yes, you did. On, the, on the podcast <laughs> um that was one of our favorite things and yeah and i think like you know we talked about it in class as well and some of the students were thinking well you know that's nice he, he's 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 her partner you know he'll mind her he'll take care of her but at the same time by doing that, he's complicit in the fact that the the, the government or the, the people in power are taking away his wife's power. Um, the point isn't that he'll take care of her. That should be part and parcel of what he's going to do. But he should be angry that her rights are taken away. Um, and by being silent, you know, he's not there in, in the TV show. He's not there when they go out and protest. He's not there with her and Myra, um, which I think says a lot, you know, that it, this this is a, a gender issue and it's not specific to him. So like the title of my paper is that that um, that poem, Martin Neil Muller, I can't say his name, but first they came for and then I did not speak up. And he doesn't speak up and doesn't realise throughout the whole TV show of how bad things are for for women you know he doesn't want to leave immediately he's waiting he has a a faith in the government that things will be right and be okay instead of thinking they have stripped my wife of her rights of her money of everything of her freedoms and i'm not doing anything about it and by not speaking he 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 allows it to happen further he doesn't go out and protest he doesn't get them across the border in time by all of this it, it leads to a chain of him thinking that the authority is correct rather than thinking the authority is wrong by taking away women's rights i think that's really an interesting position that he's in i know they, they try and make him sympathetic i like when he's there when moira comes out i was like oh my god i i love that you're there for her she needs you but at the same time <laughs> like Oh, why weren't you there for anyone else at any point in time? Is it right, taking you exactly? Three? Exactly. That is a great moment, though, in that that final <gasps> second to last or last episode where he is there second and he had put her on his list of people in case she, <gasps> you know, came across. It's that's one of the more touching things, and it does redeem him a little bit. But yeah, if you think about it and extrapolate it all the way out, man, we could have been, you know, we could have been in Canada a long time ago if you <laughs> just. <laughs> You could all be sitting in Little America having coffees right now if you've got a board. As as far as the show is concerned, I know one of the the most well-known and talked about moments of silence is Alexis Bledel as Avglin slash Emily in the third episode, where by and large, unless I'm mistaken, unless you you count the part where she's screaming, um, does most of her acting completely with her mouth covered and is almost exclusively done in silence and with her eyes. And can you talk to us about, you know, how you felt about that in her moments there? 
I know that, that that's kind of a moment where I think it really works with this idea of of Susan Sontag uh, thinking about silence and the aesthetics of silence and as as a choice, an artistic choice by the director to do that, I think is really important because it, it's it's doubly hitting us there because she cannot speak. So her voice has been totally taken away from her um, and she's unable to do anything but scream. So she can't talk. Her mouth has been held behind um, that, that mask. And I think that's a really important choice because we're seeing that, that physically she cannot talk, but we're also um, visually watching her unable to speak. So we have to we have to watch much more carefully. So all of the, the sound, all of the audio is gone really from that point. There's no words to listen to. We have to concentrate on her face and on her emotions that you just see in her face and which is mainly her eyes. And I think that's really, really important, that idea of making us very very aware that the voice has been stripped from women that women do not have a voice cannot talk do not have any power in any way and therefore we cannot listen to her we cannot she does not have a voice within the society so watching her go through that through silence without using the words is really important but also trauma sometimes is something that people can't can't have don't have the words for that the trauma is so deep that words are not good enough or are unable to express how bad a trauma a trauma is um you often hear of people who like like the woman that uh, luke meets right I was gonna say that, yeah the woman that they is with that group that picks him up in the van she is completely yeah. silent so yeah that goes right to that yeah, exactly. I think that fits in with that, that this this is a woman who cannot speak. And there we were watching. And I think it makes us, they say, you know, um, like in film, you know, silence is isn't is is very rarely used because usually there's music on or there's something there. There's some sort of sound in some way. So when something is silent, um, it really highlights because we're watching something that's vis- visual and or- oral. So oral, um, that when you see something like what's going on to Alexis Bidel, it's just, it, it, you you can't move away from it. You know, the silence, you can only create noise around you. So it makes you uncomfortable. Um, and that I think highlights um, and and, and kind of puts more emphasis on the feeling that she's going through so that you feel it more too so it's more highlighted to you as a viewer and I think that's a really important incident and so one let's talk about the flip side and I know you sent me the abstract of your paper that you're going to be talking about um let's talk about Serena Joy a little bit and her character and how she's sort of silenced in kind of a opposite way of the rest of them whereas she has this power um in this society that she's helped create but it's not exactly how she wanted it and so talk about her her side of things i think what is it, one of the things that they've done is segregate um people and and be able to separate them into groups so that the groups can be against each other if you know what i mean um and I, margaret atwood talked about this been a utopia instead of a dystopia so it it was us that created the dystopia it was us who've done this to ourselves and i think serena joy is a really good example of an utopia person she has done this to herself through her um her own kind of i suppose that th- what they call the unconscious bias that often um women can unco- be unconsciously biased towards themselves um and think well you know they there was a 
um, a survey done with millennials in the in the US before the presidential election, and they asked them to look at pictures of who they thought looked presidential. And even young women in that 16 to 24 bracket picked men above women um, as somebody that looked more presidential. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I think that's with Serena Joy as well. It's this idea that she is she was unconsciously biased towards women already. Um, and as a result of that, has stripped herself of her own rights, um, not realizing how it imp impacted on her. I, the, I think that incident with the Mexican um, delegation where they ask her you know, about her book that she's no longer allowed to read. Um, I think is interesting, but then giving her some sort of power within it makes her feel, well, I'm not like the handmaids or I'm not like a Martha or I'm not like an unwoman. I'm above all of those. So you kind of create some sort of sense of authority and some sort of sense of kind of a class system or an authoritarian system where she feels she has some power within it, but it's she's partly to blame for what has happened to her which I think makes it much more difficult for her. It must be, it has to be harder for her to realize, to blame for her own um, policing, I suppose, or her own stripping of rights. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think you you really see that in that character. And it's an interesting kind of transformation, and you know, because you do see those moments when she tries to interject and is, you know, more or less shut down. Um, yeah. And, yeah, they close the door on her and stuff. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. Exactly. And you know, I think the one line where they're at the dinner table or the breakfast table, and he said, "We've got good men working on this," <laughs> and just basically <laughs> shuts her up. Um, is just yeah. Yeah, her character was fantastic. So, did, oh. did, were your students kind of excited now that they've actually you know seen the show and watched the show? Has there been a positive reaction to the show? Yeah, they absolutely love it. Um, the ones that are really into it really love it. Um, so they've been watching it and we were talking and they're like, oh, I still have an episode to watch. And, you know, they, they particularly were really fond of Emily, the character of Emily. I think everyone really identified with her. Um, so they were delighted to hear that she would be back in season two. Um, and uh, they were like, it was great to see it win as well then. I think it kind of added some sort of sense of um, kind of, strength to its importance um uh, to see like alexis bedelwin the week before and then elizabeth moss and you know all of those things i think were really important that it was it was it justified how er everyone felt about it that this was an important piece of tv and a difficult piece of tv oh, um absolutely. it's the most you know, entertaining show that you're going to sit down and just binge you can't really binge on the yeah. show it's yeah so what that's so my other question my other question was you know the students that are watching this has there been have there been any that are like nope can't do it i know the reaction across the board has been kind of mixed i mean there's a lot of people that are like binged it all the way through you know some people yeah. watch it a little bit at a time but are like wow it's really dark because it is it's very dark and disturbing which i think says a lot and i've always said when i've talked about it that saying a show is disturbing in 2017 is really saying something because there's so much that you can do on television these yeah. days um but yeah. it is profoundly disturbing and so what has been the reaction uh, has there been any negative reaction that people are like oh just too close to home or too much for me that i just can't handle it i i'm wondering now i'm trying to think because i know the ones that love it keep on telling me about it so that's <laughs> something really positive but i think it's i think it is a difficult one to watch like my, my boyfriend was watching and he stopped watching it and i he just came back to me and said will I start watching it again and I was like yes start watching it again but I think it's that it's it is a 
it's a hard show to watch, I think, first of all, if you haven't read the book. Um, I think the book gives you some sort of crutch watching because you know bits and pieces of it. Sure. Um, but I think the, the, the show itself can be can bring out that element of hope, which I think is really important in any dystopian novel is to have some sort of sense of hope and there is that sense that you know in some way there's little forms of resistance in it every week that you can see um, or with um, Emily and you see these sense of of, you know the sense of resistance in it and like even the bit you know where Emily steals the van and just drives around and around possibly because she can't get out of the circle because there's guards everywhere but that that sense they you know they really liked that she did that because it was even just that one token of i'm going to just drive around and be free for this few minutes even though i'm probably going to get killed afterwards even though we all know she doesn't know but <laughs> i think it's really interesting that they they just loved that bit and i thought that was interesting because it was it's that moment of hope or that moment of of resistance been really important to them and i think that's kind of with that show you have to watch it slowly in some way i i well it depends but i couldn't binge it i could only binge the last two episodes because i needed to know how it ended but right. i felt that um is that you need to kind of take it in bits and pieces but i think it's good i think it says a lot for for tv that it's show to watch that's you know based on tough material and but important political issues are coming up in it in relation to gender and politics and religion and I think and in some way race that it needs to be something that we put on that we watch the television just can't be um bland entertainment which is has its place but this has its place too I think as a as a piece of tv to get us to to think and to talk and maybe act in some way Absolutely. That's the best kind of TV, in my opinion, especially now. Um, so you talked about the role of hope in the dystopian novels. Let's talk about the role of hope over in Ireland. We are actually talking to another Irish reporter who works for a, a website over there called She Amazing, And they are going to be reporting about uh, the March, which is the same day as your uh, conference. So tell us a little bit about that. because yeah. I know you, you are aware of the, the march that's going on. So talk about the role of protest over there and the hopes. And is there hope that what your the protests and everything can make some change over there or is it still a little bit up in the air yeah it's still a little bit up in the air i suppose we um as i say we, abortion in in ireland is completely illegal and um the rights of the unborn fetus have the same rights as the woman so um and Two years ago um i think it's two years ago uh, a woman called savita halapanaver died um at 17 weeks pregnant she showed up at the hospital um and went into the and they were unable to provide her with a an abortion which would have saved her life because they felt that it was a catholic country and it wasn't allowed and her fetus still had a heartbeat so therefore they couldn't put it in jeopardy um so there's been and particularly since that but there's been a number of cases there was a an asylum seeker who came to the country uh, who had been raped and was looking for an abortion was suicidal um, and on hunger strike and they wouldn't provide her with an abortion um, and they force fed her and forced her to go to term and so there's been a lot of talk about this and there's been a huge amount of people coming forward and saying um, I have traveled to the UK to access abortion and to access my health care um, the 10 and 12 women a day leave the country to access uh, abortion uh, and healthcare in the UK uh, because of our laws. And um, we've recently held a citizens' assembly where they bring 
discuss particular issues that they think should go to government. And because it's enshrined in our constitution in the Eighth Amendment, we have to have a referendum to change the constitution. Um, and it's been a difficult issue. Um, there's been referendums before, but they haven't really been on this issue and younger people haven't had the opportunity to vote on it and sorry it's my dog um and she's angry about it too <laughs> but uh so they held a citizens assembly which recommended that um abortion should be available without restriction up to 12 weeks and then um after that on uh, medical reasons up to i think 22 weeks and the citizens assembly then Prevent that, present that to the government who then have to hold a referendum on it. But um, the government are slow to decide to hold a referendum on it and are now having a committee, a government committee, to talk about the findings of the Citizens' Assembly to then decide whether we should have um, a referendum and what that referendum should uh, encompass, uh, and what the wording should be, etc. Um, so that, that committee started its meeting this week. Um, and as a result, the... Um, looking for um, the removal of this Eighth Amendment from our constitution. So anyone who's looking for a pro-choice uh, access, access to abortion in Ireland um, are in a march next week. So this is, the, I think, third or fourth march in the last maybe 12 months um, for this. So I think it's, uh, it's and it, I thought it was really interesting that the, for the first meeting of this assembly, the, or of the government committee, that women, 25 women showed up to the front gates of the the doll, the parliament, to protest in Handmaid's Tale gear, because I think it's it's something that can, it, it's, it's very visually striking, and it says a lot about women's rights been taken away, and particularly in relation to fertility and um, in relation to motherhood and uh, anything, gender issues, I suppose. But I think it's it's been that it's it's coincided the two issues have coincided the show and then this this issue that that women are fighting for over here women and men are fighting for over here so it's fascinating i think it's very fascinating and you know hopefully the work that you are you know doing over there bringing some of these issues to light via your courses and the things that are already going on there kind of the grassroots you know pro-life pro women's yeah. health movement over there could really make some headway because and, and the change is slow and that's the hard part about <laughs> yeah. any time. Yeah, of- it is. Yeah, it's very slow. Yeah, and it can be difficult then when we hear of cases happening and you know that today there are 10 to 12 women travelling and tomorrow there are 10 to 12 women travelling. And then when they come back, have no access to healthcare or follow-up services. And that's very difficult too. And, you know, dealing with difficult situations, you know. Very sad that we don't have that option here and that they're not moving on it but we're hoping that they say um next year that the referendum will be held on it so hopefully um it will be it will be a positive outcome for women we can hope and i i find it hopeful that right now especially media and tv and art seem to be about as inclusive and open for ideas and progressive as they've been in a long time especially with the you know amount of outlets that people have to create things and get things out there. I think a lot of these issues are being brought forth and I think at a really good time because, you know, the reality of the world and the people running it right now 
is kind of trending in the opposite yep. direction. So uh, I'm hoping that what you're doing and what you know the TV show Handmaid's Tale and all the other shows, you know, like we saw at the Emmys, it was a big night for women and people of color and the LGBTQ community. And so I'm hoping all that will kind of take hold because sometimes that's what it takes for the general mainstream populace to kind of realize that things need to change and that there are issues. And so my hope is that natural i suppose progress has to be fought for it's not something that happens Correct. naturally it doesn't we don't progress normally so we have to we have to fight for progression so it's mm-hmm. kind of a warning to us to make sure that we do and so i you know i i applaud what you're doing and i'm glad your course you know it kind of coincided with this trend up in the handmaid's tale and the dystopian you know uh, phenomenon in general and hopefully you'll be able to keep i know i know the thing with the professors is always can I keep teaching this course? And so hopefully you'll be able to keep going with this <laughs> and keep that going. And um, we will definitely follow up with you again, if that is okay with you. That's great. Yeah, please yeah, do. I'd love, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you after you go to this conference just to see what other, you know, what other things were presented there. I'm really intrigued by that whole situation. So Brilliant. we'll do that and we'll follow up definitely. with you. After I, that. you know, great. Thank you so much, Justin. Great to talk to you. You're very welcome. Uh, that was Deirdre Flynn. She's a professor at the University College Dublin. And this is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Please head over to allconsumingcontent.com for more great podcasts. You can check out Back to the Money Bin, a DuckTales podcast, Player vs. Player podcast, and Blues Hockey podcast. You can also check out our radio station at Handmaid's Resistance Radio. That is on Slacker Radio or for free on the Slacker app. 